0: Uh, Good morning. morning. Uh, As Ryan said, my name is Logan Bailey. I'm the high school coordinator here at Peace. Uh, My wife and I have been uh, attending or working here for the better part of the last five years. Uh, We actually got married in this room back when the stage was a third of the room. It was massive right here. Um, And we are both currently getting our master's degrees at seminary for better Bible and ministry training. And let me tell you, we are living the dream, being able to work Uh, Attend to be a part of this church. So we love you. Uh, Peace. It is an honor to be on the stage this morning with you. Two weeks ago, Rachel and I, along with Bernie and Deb Nagel, took 22 high school students to Washington, D.C. on a mission trip. It was awesome. Great trip. Always is. Uh, D.C. is a beautiful city uh, with a lot of problems that the Lord is meeting with different people and ministries. Uh, But obviously, when you're in D.C., one of the most memorable things to see are the uh, the Capitol building, the monuments, the statues, notably the Washington monument. Raise your hand if you have seen the Washington monument in person. Right when I saw it, I knew I needed to touch it needed to touch it. Touching history is beautiful. It's always awesome. At 555 feet tall, the Washington Monument was the largest building, tallest building in the world when it was built. Construction began in 1848 on July 4, exactly 173 years ago to the day. Unfortunately, uh, the funds ran out real quick. Uh, Construction stopped when only 27% of the monument was built, and it sat there. The Civil War started, uh, that halted construction again. It sat for 20 years, just partly built. It was an eyesore to the public. Uh, It wasn't until 1888, an entire 40 years later, that the monument was opened up to the public. 40 years I think sometimes that life is very similar to that fundraising story because life constantly is is throwing stuff at us, pain and difficulties, difficulties. and we all the time, we have to constantly fundraise for time or fundraise for money or fundraise for our own happiness to counteract the pain and sadness that's constantly flowing into our lives. John Gottman says, uh, he's a well-known marriage counselor, he says that it takes five positive comments to counteract one negative comment. So the odds of finding joy in our lives are hardly in our favor. So if happiness is so fleeting and sorrow comes so easy, where is there hope for joy for us? If you want to follow along this morning, we'll be reading uh, from John 15, 1 through 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, then you can just follow along as I read it. And we're going to see that in the love of Christ, we find eternal joy. Starting uh, in verse one, uh, I, I just want to say I have two goals this morning. One is to read the Bible and unpack it. I'll do my best. It'll be a joy. Number two, my, my hope this morning is that we all leave this service a little closer to Jesus than we were when it started i can't do that for you Uh, it's between you and the lord so I, i i ask you to pray prepare your heart as we read god's word in verse one i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. God, may you be glorified in our efforts, speak through your word. Holy Spirit, please give me the words and guide my words as I read yours, and help me be true to your heart. God, you deserve our praise and attention this morning. May we cling to what is true. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Sweet. Uh, This is how I see the structure of this passage. This is how we're going to walk through it. Uh, Verses 1 through 6, Jesus gives a vineyard metaphor. 7 through 10, he gives the message behind that metaphor. And in verse 11, he gives the purpose for that message. So starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So God the Father is the master gardener, the vine dresser he cultivates fruit. His goal is fruitfulness. Jesus is the vine, the true vine, fruitful and abounding. The true vine is the vine dresser's prized possession. And Jesus wants us to actually picture this metaphor that he's painting. Imagine a vine. Verse two, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The vine dresser, is serious about his job. If he sees a branch bearing fruit, he goes to work to help that branch bear more fruit. The vine dresser intends to have a fruitful vine. And so, fruitful branches are pruned in order to become even more fruitful. But what else does the verse say? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away So the vine dresser intends to have a fruitful vine. And a branch is either doing what branches do, or they're removed. The disciples hearing this uh, would know exactly what Jesus is getting at. The scriptures use vineyard metaphors all the time. Notably in Isaiah 27, 2-4. A pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together. So do do you see that? God cares about the vineyard he has planted. He is singing over it. And he loves his vineyard and is willing to go to war against anything that gets in the way of his vineyard being fruitful. I have no wrath, would that I had thorns and briars to battle. As in, I'm at peace with my garden. I love my garden, but if weeds pop up, if plants get in the way of my vineyard flourishing, I'll have wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. Jesus is saying that God is serious about his vineyard and he is seriously willing to go to war to stop anything that stunts the growth of his vineyard. Back to John 15. These branches are being sung over, loved, and celebrated. But the vine dresser knows that dead branches do not belong on fruitful vines and so they need to be removed disciples at this point were probably confused on how they fit into the whole picture they probably were afraid that Jesus was about to call them dead branches and condemn them and we too probably worry that that God is going to call us dead branches but Jesus clarifies to his disciples exactly who they are verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So in other words, Jesus is saying, calm down. He's reassuring them, don't worry. You are already fruitful by the work I have done. You are already a fruitful branch because of the work I have done. That's what Jesus is saying. What is being fruitful? Being fruitful is being a Christ-like image bearer. And so Jesus is not condemning them. Jesus is offering advice to them. What is the advice Jesus offers? Verse four, abide in me. Why is that good advice? Why is that good advice for a branch? So if you're looking at a vine, what advice would you give a branch? How would you advise a branch? And if your best advice is produce fruit, you're probably not a good gardener because that's not how things grow. No, Jesus tells them, he does not just tell them produce fruit. His advice is infinitely more practical. He says, abide. A branch never produces fruit by itself, only if it abides in the vine. Fruitful branches stay with the vine. The ones that die are the ones that decide to go find some other source for life. And for branches, there isn't one. Verses five and six, Jesus clarifies to his disciples the plot, the story of this metaphor. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why do branches die? We know exactly why branches die, because they reject the life that the vine is offering them. If a vine, or if a branch rejects the nourishment of a vine, it sits lifeless, must be removed. But those branches that are producing fruit in living life, what are they doing? They're drawing life from the vine. So the old poem rings true. Only one life, it soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, it soon be past. Only what abides in Christ will last. That's the metaphor, Uh, but then Jesus goes on to give them his direct message of why, why he's telling them this. He gives them the direct message of, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the word abide basically just means continue. Abide in, continue in. If the disciples continue to follow Jesus, then they will bear fruit. Even in the craziness of life, like no matter what life throws at you and gives you, if you abide in Christ, you will flourish. So long as you abide in Christ, you will flourish. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. Like I'm the vine. Just ask for the strength. Just ask for the life. Just ask for the nourishment and I'll give it to you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is telling them that if they continue to abide, God will be glorified. They will be fruitful and the world will know these men are men of God. Jesus intended for his disciples to be like him, to obey his commandments. That's being fruitful. And Jesus tells them exactly, exactly how to bear fruit in their life. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is not saying to them, obey me and then you can stick around. Jesus is saying the complete opposite. Stick around because you belong here. I love you. Recognize my love for you. That is how you will bear fruit. Proximity to Jesus brings about obedience to Jesus. Jesus does not say, love me better. Jesus does not say, bear more fruit and then I will love you. Jesus says, abide in my love. From that position of knowing that we are loved, then we can bear the fruit that we Need. Why does Jesus say any of this to his disciples? Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christ is plotting for the joy of his disciples. Following Jesus is not about avoiding hell. Though obviously rejecting the vine is not recommended. Jesus is not just protecting us from a fire, but he is leading us into everlasting joy. Jesus is pleading with his disciples for the sake of their own joy, abide in me. That's what Jesus said. What is Jesus saying today to us? In the love of Christ we find eternal joy. I wanna go uh, one by one and look at these three aspects of the phrase, starting with the, the word in. The primary phrase in our text is abide in. Abide in my love, abide in me. The phrase abide in means to remain in, to persist in, to continue in, to stay in problem is, we are naturally in all the wrong things. That is why Jesus is calling us in to something better. And this is one of the most beautiful aspects of all Christian theology, is that God is not demanding we live up to something. God is inviting us into something eternally better. God is inviting us into into something eternally better. And that is the difference between a job and a vacation. Here's what I mean. What's a job? A job is something that I interview for and apply for so that I can get the job and work uh, to then earn something. What's a vacation? A vacation is something that you are invited into to reap the benefits of the work that has already been done. That's what we have in Christ. Jesus is inviting us into something and telling us to stay in. What is Christ inviting us into? Verse 3 says Christians are already clean. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We are already loved. Christ has already chosen us. We are a part of the vine. And I'm telling you that this morning. That Christ loves you. That Christ has died for you. That Christ has made his love for you abundantly clear. And that's not just simply love. That's the love of Christ. Which means eternal, abounding, and authoritative. Don't ignore or reject that. But accept that like a branch drawing life from the vine. Apart from the love of God, we are hopeless. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is our source of life. And just, th- just think about how often we try to do life without Jesus. We try to find self-worth by impressing people. And we try to find peace amidst stress by ignoring our problems. Or we try to fight depression with the superficial band-aid of entertainment. When was the last time you thought to yourself, why did I do that again? We are such a self-destructive bunch. Always seeking life where we know that there is none. Enter stage left. The love of Christ the love of Christ. Jesus has declared with the authority of all creation that you are loved, that we are his. There is no question about it. There is no relational purgatory. Like, does God hate me? Does God even like me? There there is no question or doubt about it. Christ loves you and has declared you his. And the Heidelberg Catechism says it wonderfully. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. The love of God spans eternity, reaches the depth of infinity, and defeats the darkest lies of the enemy. We are in the love of Christ this morning. Christ says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And I know that sometimes we can think that God has better things to do than to worry about our joy, to think about our joy. But why would we ever think he doesn't? Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus intentionally, purposefully suffered and died on a cross for the joy that was set before him. For the joy set before him. Here is exactly what that means. God strategically, strategically does what he does for his own glory and joy. And the text makes clear that he is glorified in and overjoyed to see human flourishing. And God is singing over us. He is glad to see us flourish and he has gone to war against the sin and shame that would threaten our eternal joy. God wants us eternally satisfied in him. God wants us eternally sustained by him. He is the vine, we are the branches and he wants us to flourish forever. A message on joy might seem a bit tone deaf for you this morning. I don't pretend to know your life story. I know full well that there are people in this room that have experienced more pain than we could ever imagine and they're feeling it this morning. I do not pretend to know your pain, but I do know my pain. I have lost people I love from death and division. I have felt the dull sting of depression overcome with feelings and thoughts of of hopelessness. I have been hated by people I don't even know, hated by people I do know, and at times I've even felt hatred for myself. Like I remember when I was a kid and playing baseball and football in rec league, you know, I remember praying that no one, not even my parents would come to my games. I couldn't get the idea of performance out of my head. And I believed the lie that what I could produce was not worth an audience. And, and I believed the lie that if they saw what I could produce, if they saw me fail, that they wouldn't like me anymore. That they wouldn't love me anymore. That's an insecurity that sticks with you. That doesn't just go away. That's deep. And I'm not the only one that this morning that has deep insecurities that I wrestle with. Fears that bully me. Sin, that, that, the guilt of sin that destroys me. Insecurities I can't shake. Losses that we still haven't recovered from. Like I'm not the only one this morning. We all feel that. Do you feel that? The weight of sin and shame and pain. We all know the weight of that. And we know that it's, it's, some, it's heavier than we could ever carry. That's why Jesus carries it for us. And he carried it to the cross for the joy that was set before him. That is why a message on joy is exactly what we need this morning. Jesus knew. That loving us, even to the point of his own death and suffering, was worth the joy he would have for eternity and victory over it. And he offers us that same victory and same joy this morning. Yes, there is a weight to sin and shame. But the weight of eternal joy is always more. And eternal joy is exactly what the love of Christ gives us. Love does not ignore pain, it endures through it, and despite what what life throws at us, we are secure in the love of Christ. Abide in my love that your joy may be full. We have that invitation for all of eternity, your sins washed, your purpose defined, your adoption papers certified, your identity clarified. Your eternity secure, your soul anchored, and your joy full. Every sorrow and every tear is known by God, and every single one of them will be redeemed for those who he loves. The love of God is eternal, abounding, and authoritative. He has the final word, and he says, you are loved. So what do we do in response to that? We long to be fruitful. We we long to be Christ-like image bearers. We we want that. But what we do not need to do is graft ourselves onto the vine. Christ has already done that. Christ has already guaranteed our union with him. What else don't we need to do? We don't need to produce fruit on our own. Branches never produce fruit on their own, ever, ever. We want to be fruitful, so we want to put in the effort, but we aren't ever going to be fruitful without Christ. So what do we need to do? To be fruitful branches, we need to abide. Abide in my love, continue in my love, remain in my love, be loved. And if we miss this, we miss it, we miss everything. Being Spirit-led is abiding in Christ, always. Being Holy Spirit-led is always, first, abiding in Christ. And there are a million and three different ways to apply this to our lives. I'm just going to give you one. I, 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 I'm going to give you one spiritual exercise uh, to practice uh, abiding. And I do not have abiding perfected by any means. Jesus Isn't asking us to. The point is not that we're perfect. The point is that Jesus is perfect. And abiding in Christ is always more about Jesus than it is about me. Abiding in Jesus is always 100% more about Jesus than it is about you. So what's a good spiritual exercise? To practice abiding, Uh, silence, and solitude. Silence and solitude. When we are silent, We eradicate the chance for our souls to try and justify ourselves. Silence puts an end to self righteousness. Solitude is where we go to be met by God, where we go to focus on God and meditate on His truths and His love. And I know your life is busy. All of our lives are busy and noisy. But you can do this. Take advantage of your mornings. I know some of you already do this. Take advantage of your mornings when the house is still and silent or when you're driving to work. Don't fall for the trap of always pulling your phone out when there's downtime. But spend a few minutes in prayer. Don't feel shame, but feel the invitation in every mundane moment. Dallas Willard says, far from being a mere absence, silence allows the reality of God to stand in our midst, in the midst of your life. Far from being a mere absence, silence allows the reality of God to stand in the midst of your life. What do you hear when you allow God to stand in the midst of your life? What do you hear when you allow the most authoritative voice in all existence stand in the midst of your life? What do you hear? I hear the Lord singing over his vineyard. That's what I hear. I want to invite the worship band to come back up and uh, we're going to pray, close us out. So would you please pray with me? Father, we are just so thankful for all that you've done. God, you love us and you have displayed your love for us on the cross and you have displayed your power in defeating death. You are worthy of our worship and attention this morning. God, may we just abide in your love. Holy Spirit, Help us spend more time just sitting in your loving presence. Help us be infinitely more defined by your love for us than anything else. God, in everything we do, may we remember that you love us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.